Welcome to the Nicolay Wealth Management Investment Podcast. In this episode, Adam Longley, Mike Steppe, and Anthony Wilhelms talk about what has happened over the past several weeks in the financial markets. And listen in as the team forecasts what might be the most likely scenario for the U.S. economy over the next several quarters. And what will this mean for the U.S. interest rates? They will also discuss what is the possible impact of the FDIC selling the investment holdings of failed banks. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss the latest updates on investment management, the economy, and much more in this podcast hosted by Anthony Wilhelms of Nicolay Wealth Management. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on another episode of our Nicolay Wealth Management podcast. I'm your host, as always, Anthony Wilhelms. And joining me are Mike Steppe and Adam Longley. Mike, will you kick us off with an update on what's going on in markets? Sure. Interesting times again in the financial markets, especially if, like me, you're a bank geek and sort of watching all these numbers on on the banks. There's been a lot of investor anxiety uh, around the regional bank area. And the concerns, they sort of talk about them as a trifecta of worry in terms of the bond investment losses that banks have, office space in large urban areas. So when people look at what's the office space in Chicago renting out, what's the office space in Minneapolis, what's the office space in San Francisco, um, those areas. And then also, what's the situation in terms of deposit outflow? So those are the three broad concerns. Um, And it seems like deposit flows from the banks that I'm talking to have stabilized after some uninsured deposits shifted their balances. So the fundamentals seem like they're they're, uh, playing out like one might expect. The bank stocks have reacted and are trading weekly. Um, So that that remains a problem out there. So that's sort of the banking area has been a concern in the market. The second big development was that the Fed raised overnight rates by 25 basis points at the May 3rd meeting. Now overnight rates are trading in the five to five and a quarter range. And the expectation now by the market is that the Fed will pause and there's not there's not pricing in any more rate increases. They're actually pricing in some rate decreases. So when you step back and you look at things and you say, since the beginning of the quarter, since uh, March 31st, equity markets are off a little bit. The um, international developed is doing better. So those existing trends that we've been talking about, international developed pretty strong, um, small caps uh, lagging the market, those continue. On the fixed income side, rates on the you know, if you took like two-year to five-year treasuries, those rates are down 15 to 20 basis points, and 10-year rates are about the same. So that's because, you know, people have started, people in the fixed income market have started to price, have been pricing in some rate decreases. And so uh, we'll talk more about that in this session, I'm sure. And you look at it again from a broad standpoint. Commodity prices have come down. Uh, West Texas Intermediate Oil is trading about five dollars less per barrel. Copper's down. Dollar is down about one percent. So lots going on in the market. 
I like it, Mike. I appreciate that update. Adam, I'm going to come to you with a question about returns in equities more specifically, or maybe I should rephrase and say in just a few equities so far this year. What has been performing well and what happened to dispersion of returns we've seen in prior years? Yeah, specifically in the first quarter, there was a, a really large concentration of returns. And, and to put some numbers to it, if you look at the, the S&P 500 at the end of the first quarter, 10 stocks on a 50 accounted for 90% of the gains. And remember, the S&P 500 is um, market cap weighted. So the largest companies have the largest weight. So 10% of the stocks largely accounted for almost all of the gains. Um, but the S&P 500 in, the, in that first quarter was up 7%. So that's, that's $2 trillion in equity appreciation. And you can kind of see it in other indices. So you look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up less than 1% the first quarter, but the NASDAQ was up over 20%. So that's another way to look at it. But it's, it's stocks like Apple was up almost 30%, Microsoft up 20%. Uh, NVIDIA up 90, Facebook up 75, Tesla 70, Amazon was up 25, Google up 20, um, and, you know, Salesforce, AMD both up, up up 50. So big companies had big returns. It drove uh, and explained most of the appreciation in the first quarter. I think if you look at why, you know, why did these companies do well, what, what did investors see in these companies? I think the theme is they're all profitable or, or mostly profitable tech companies that historically um, have done well in recessions. And so and then they've also benefited from some degree. Uh, longer term interest rates fell in the first quarter. And these are the stocks that some of them underperformed last year when, when interest rates were going up. So a little bit of a reversal for some of the names. But it has oh. had some implications. Go ahead. Going. It, has, it has had some implications for uh, active managers, uh, strategies that try to pick stocks when, when this concentration makes that very difficult. Um, and I just mentioned in April, it's, it's been a different story. So in April, the NASDAQ was basically flat, but the S&P 500 was up one and a half. And then the best performing sectors in the S&P 500 were, were more defensive in nature, like staples, consumer staples up four, healthcare up three, utilities up two. And kind of the worst performers or some of the worst performers was tech was flat and financials largely because of what Mike was talking about. Financials were down 13 and a half in, in uh, April. Historically, what have you seen for longer term returns? If the it, comparing when we have most companies doing well or poorly together, or you see a lot of divergence and a few companies do really well or really bad. Are there any things that can tell us about the future? Yeah, it's um, so what we've seen this year is, is kind of a, a low quality rally uh, and, and it's less sustainable when, when the market is driven by a couple names. What you want to see is more companies, more parts of the market and the economy participating that, that tends to have more um, staying power. So roughly, if you look at the S&P 500, less than half of the market is above its 200 day moving average, which means the majority of the market's trading relatively poorly. Sure. That's uh, it's a lot to pay attention to in the next few quarters. Mike, I'll come back to you with a popular topic of conversation is Fed's raise rates. Are we actually at the top? Will they stay there? And why did they raise them? It's not like everything feels perfect in the economy right now. 
Well, they're still concerned about inflation, and they look at that as their primary concern, that and employment. Employment remains strong, so they look at it and say, we've got to, we've got to dampen down inflation. Uh, it's coming down, but it's been stickier than they anticipated, so that's why they did it. They raised 25 basis points. The market has started to feel like this pause is going to be short. I'm not sure that they're right about that. I think they may not be. But um, right now, it seems like they're going to pause and that we'll, we probably won't have, uh, in my mind, a rate change uh, by the Fed this year. If it does happen, it'd be late in the year, probably December. So you've got a, a period now where rates will probably be fairly stable in terms of overnight rates. The market has priced in a significant amount of cuts based into the market. So it'll be interesting to sort of watch to see uh, if that happens, but right now it's we're we're in a spot where overnight rates are five to five and a quarter, and uh, two-year rates are substantially lower. So it's an interesting market. Mike, I don't know if this was a careful speech by you, or just I should have assumed I knew the answer to the direction. You said that the Fed may change rates near the end of the year, but didn't give a direction for that. <laughs> I, I, I think. Okay. The next move will be a slight decrease, but I don't think it's going to be soon. Gotcha. There's some time to try to sort it out. Um, would you stick with that for a moment? And maybe Adam jumps in on this one too. When we think about the financials have been a pretty tough sector lately, and certainly one in the news, why raising or higher Fed funds rates uh, has been one of the things that's difficult on banks? Well, first of all, usually it's not. Um, usually higher interest rates uh, and a steeper yield curve are good for banks because uh, they can uh, price their, their loans off longer maturities and price their deposits off shorter de um, maturities, and they make spread. The negative slope in the yield curve has been more problematic. But I think the if you go back to what are the problems that are sort of at the heart of the banking issue. First of all, it's the investment losses. While rates shifted up, the banks that had really long duration portfolios got hurt by that. Uh, everybody got hurt, but the ones that were really longer got hurt more. Um, office space in large urban areas, um, that the that's more tied to the whole COVID problem. People not wanting to where people want choosing to work remotely and office space, not as much as in demand as it has been. And then um, as the banks have sort of struggled to tell a better story around this, they've seen deposit outflow and that combination has hurt them. Adam, I'll come over to you and you're welcome to add banks or financials into this answer too. But just related to earnings, what we've seen in the now that we have releases from the first quarter of 23 and what you're looking at for the rest of the year. Sure. With, with the first quarter quarter earnings here largely done, uh, it looks like sales grew 3% year over year. Uh, that is better than the one and a half expected, but it, it, it's not great in a world of a six, five and six percent inflation. If you look at the individual companies, I think it provides some interesting color. And as an example, Kimberly Clark reported organic sales growth of 5%, but that was driven by 10% increase in prices. And actual sales volumes were down 
similar Procter and Gamble organic sales growth of plus seven. That's with 10% increase in prices, volume down three. Pepsi sales up 12, but volumes were down two. And then a company like UPS, obviously a volume driven business, said volumes got worse in the quarter. Um, and and that to the point where they were down high single digits in March. And then their guidance for the next quarter is, is that the trend continues. So, so not, not great. And then you have earnings um, are, are going to be coming in at minus 2%. That's better than the minus 5 expected. But we are mindful that earnings growth expectations, um, yeah, they were. it was minus 5 right before companies reported. But at the beginning of the year, expectations were that they were going to grow 1.5. And, and, and they didn't. They contracted by 2. Um, so looking forward, you know, even though 1Q results were uh, better than expected. The market is not revising full-year estimates higher ab- above what was reported in the first quarter. So they, it gives you a clue that they don't think the trend will continue. Um, but, you know, I just want to connect the dots here. If, if sales are up three, earnings are down two, that means margins contracted. Even though companies are raising prices ag- aggressively, margins are still contracting. You know, it, at some point, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see this show up in the labor market. If companies have negative volume growth and, and margins are under pressure, I think some companies are going to look to reduce headcount to save money and, and preserve some of the, the margin. That's a, another dot I'm going to push you to kind of connect for me is related to that labor side. You mentioned volumes being down. I would imagine that generally speaking, productivity is always increasing as companies like you say, Kimberly Clark, Procter & Gamble, Pepsi are investing in uh, technology and productivity improvements. That would seem not just from a profitability standpoint, but just from demand, there would be less need for labor. What's your view on how that, and there already seems like the curve for unemployment and job openings is decelerating. Well, what's your view going forward on that? Yeah, you're right. We are seeing job openings get lowered and productivity improves. We're also seeing a trend of people re-entering the workforce. I think that's consistent with uh, savings being depleted, the market being down, things like that. Some some people are being forced to, to return to their jobs. Um, but look, the, the unemployment rate's around three and a half, um, you know, multi-decade low. The government has given guidance that they think it's going to go to four and a half by the end of the year. That That's a, a full percentage point of increase. Couple I couple thoughts. You've never had that level of increase without a recession. And it would be very rare that the unemployment rate would go up 100 and then stay there. It, it tends to continue to go up. And it would, it, and a trend would suggest that it would go closer to north of 6, 6% unemployment. Last one I'll give you on this topic is if, if we saw unemployment move like that, do you, and you can break this apart if you want, but would, do you think it would increase margins? So we'd see you know, stronger sales numbers, like you mentioned, but margin improvements so better earnings per share because there'd be less wage pressure? Or would it be just a product of deteriorating sales and demand? I, the way I think about it is margins would contract less. Um, I think expectations are still too high. So ultimately, companies would disappoint by a lesser amount, if, if that makes sense. <laughs> I can't get any optimism out of you. <laughs> Perfect. Companies will disappoint by a lesser amount. 
Man, it's going to be fun when I ask you a question about international, of which one's the least bad option is going to be the uh, the theme. I'm excited to hear what you say there. <laughs> Mike, to you with a, a question related to the U.S., though, for the economy over the remaining quarters. And you mentioned the interest rate side, but maybe piggyback on Adam's comments related to earnings and uh, unemployment. Sure. The GDP estimates for this quarter, second quarter, are coming in a little stronger than expected. You know, we're clearly seeing weakness in real estate and manufacturing, but consumer spending has remained strong and the service sector continues to be okay. So like like Adam, I'm thinking that you're going to have a downturn in the economy and it's going to be in probably in the third quarter and the fourth quarter. I was originally thinking maybe this quarter, but it's likely to be third quarter and fourth quarter, but we're likely to have a mild recession in here. And that's sort of uh, the Fed has pushed rates up over 5%. That's going to have an impact because all the interest sensitive sectors get hit in that kind of a world. Perfect. Um, Adam, I'll come to you with the question that international one. It's been doing really well over the last four, five, six quarters. What's happening that it's doing so well? Um, and what do you see going forward? Yeah, we've International has um, just look year to date developed international roughly up, call it eleven percent. The S and P five five hundred up six, so it's kind of doubled the return of the domestic market. You know, you also have to remember that the U.S. has outperformed international stocks for like eight of the last ten years. Um, so we've seen a little bit of a reversal here this year, and and also at the end of last year. So I, you know, I think you can point to a couple of things: warm winter, a warm winter in in Europe, kind of a, an energy crisis that was averted. I think some of that was priced in, and it didn't happen. So you get a, a relief there. You know, valuations on international stocks have a lower starting point, so they had more more room to run. You've also seen some dollar depreciation, which is a really nice and meaningful tailwind to the international markets. You've also had this continuation of uh, China reopening pent-up demand, and, and again, another tailwind. And then you also have several of the, the international central, central banks are just farther along than the Fed is in their monetary policy uh, tightening phases. So as they're farther along in the cycle, um, they're, they're benefiting from that as well. That's, uh, that's really helpful to hear. And Mike, I'll come to you, but Adam, feel free to jump in while we're on international, and we'll talk a little about the U.S. dollar. There's been conversations plenty of people have related to, say, China and Russia coordinating to transact oil in non-U.S. dollar currencies. And plenty of people talk about the debt ceiling and the issues with uh, U.S. finances. Mike, can you comment on the uh, kind of long-term reserve nature of the U.S. dollar and our confidence or lack thereof in it? Sure. It, the U, U.S. dollar is still the safe haven currency in on the globe. So you look at it, and the the long term prospects are very good, and most things are going to continue to be denominated in U.S. dollars. So I look at that, and whenever you get a crisis, the the place people go is the U.S. dollar because it has the broadest appeal. It's got the deepest markets. It's the place where you can feel most confident in troubled times. So I think that's going to continue to be there. What's happened is we've had a very strong dollar over the last couple of years. We've come off that a bit, and we've come off it because 
interest rate differentials have narrowed. And this is a natural process that we see time and time again. For most of last year, the difference between U.S. 10-year treasuries and German Bund 10-year securities was 165 to 190 basis points. This morning, it's like, you know, 100. So that kind of world, you're going to see um, a, a differential there that, that makes it less appealing to foreign investors. You know, they're seeing their stocks go up right now. So they're more inclined to, to stay with their own currency and invest in their own markets. And that's a natural occurrence. Interesting. Well, it's uh, I love all the dynamics you two can pull together in 20 minutes of a conversation. It flies by quickly for me. Um, with that, I'll say thank you to our audience for joining us. We always appreciate you being here. And please reach out to anyone on the team if you have anything that we might be able to help with. Mike, can you give us some parting thoughts from your end? Sure. It's going to be an interesting time over the next couple of weeks because the FDIC is going to be selling um, securities out of the Silicon Valley Bank and out of Signature Bank. And so those things, you know, they're, they're talking about just in the mortgage-backed market, that being $10 billion per month that they're likely to sell. And it's so it's going to be interesting to sort of watch that and how that plays out. You've got a party selling that's more interested in what date they're selling this than the price that they're getting. So you have different dynamics uh, going on. And that creates uncertainty. So you've got the uncertainty that's already there because of debt ceiling questions and all that sort of turmoil that that creates. Plus, you add this FDIC selling, and I think all that creates opportunities for people. I like it. Adam, your parting thoughts. Yeah, well, I'll try to say something positive since you were giving me some crap before. <laughs> you know, we're, we're of the mind that the, the rate hiking cycle has been completed. We're now in uh, a period we would consider a pause. If you look historically from the last hike to the first cut, which would be the, the pause period, equities on average, and we're looking at the S&P 500, are, are higher. And that average um, appreciation is, is about 5%. There are periods of decline, but uh, over multiple eight uh, cycles here, the, the average return is plus 5 Hey, I like your optimism, Adam. Thanks, everybody. 